Judges chapter number 13, if you would, please. Judges chapter number 13. On May 17 of 2020, after shutting down for uh, about a month and a half or so, uh, about a thousand pastors across the state of California decided we have been closed long enough. And so they decided we're going to reopen together. And the pastor I'm referring to, I can only remember his first name. He pastors a large church, probably 4,000 people or thereabouts, somewhere in Southern California area. A lot of churches in Southern California. But anyway, he said, uh, I, I found 999, exactly a thousand guys that were willing to reopen on May 17th. So what he did is he went to his local sheriff and he said, Sheriff, I, I want you to know um, that I am not a rebel and you know I'm not a rebel. That's not me. That's not my spirit. That's not what this is about. But he said, I also want you to know that I am not asking your permission for what I'm about to tell you. He said, I'm not a rebel, but I'm also not asking your permission. But he said, in two weeks on May 17, we're going to reopen our churches. Me and a thousand others, 999 actually others across the state of California. And he said, my sheriff looked at me and said this, what took you so long. What took you so long? You said, we've been waiting for you guys to lead. We figured you'd have pushed back well before now. What took you so long? And Pastor Brian said, it was at that point I realized a lost world is watching, paying close attention to what we're doing or not doing. And listen, folks, this is our moment to shine. Do you understand that? This is our moment to shine and shine brightly for the Lord. You say, well, Brother Dave, it's dark. Well, there's always been dark times throughout world history. And certainly we've lived dark days in the United States of America. But the darker the light, boy, the light, or the darker the night, rather, it's easy for the light to shine brightly, isn't it? And it's so dark right now, just a little bit of light shines very, very bright. And so I want to encourage you to step up to the plate and understand this is the opportunity God's given us, graced us with the privilege to live at this strategic time and let our light shine brightly for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a blessing to have my sweet bride with me tonight. Uh, there's never been a service I've ever been in, but what would have been made better by her presence there? Can I hear an amen right there, fellas? You say, you're a suck up. That's what you're doing. No, uh, I'm just thankful for a sweet bride. I really, really am. Second greatest gift the Lord ever gave me after I got saved was her. And uh, I praise God for that. And so I uh, thank her for coming tonight and uh, ministering in music. And I know she's going to be busy the rest of the week. She's a piano teacher as well as being the pianist at our home church. And so normally she's not able to get away, but she was able to shake free tonight and come but tomorrow night, she'll be teaching piano lessons up until, what is it, 7.45. It's going to be real late. I think she said 7.45. And so uh, I'll be here by myself and have to behave tonight. The rest of the week, all bets are off, if you know what I'm saying. But anyway, uh, she's able to be here tonight, for which I praise the Lord. Judges chapter number 13, if you would, please. I want to begin reading at verse number one. And by the way, folks, can I implore you about something uh, I said some things this morning that I kind of want to just, just make this statement just to drill down a little deeper, and I'll be sharing some other things over the course of the next several nights as well. Not a lot, but just kind of sprinkling some things in. But folk, we're living in strategic days. Yesterday, we did something in Morganton, North Carolina. The Lord led my wife and I to do something we've never done before. But back on June 11, we opened an axe-throwing business, okay? How many of you know what axe-throwing is? Okay, one is one of the most popular things going soon to become, from the rumors I'm hearing, an Olympic sport. And everything had shut down in Morganton, just like it had done in Carrollton, Georgia, where our son and daughter-in-law live. And so back, way back uh, earlier, they opened uh, an axe-throwing establishment down in Carrollton, Georgia, because all the bowling alleys were closed and so on. And uh, 
Nathan said, Daddy, it's just been amazing the number of people that have come in because they have nothing else to do. And so he said, we coach them on how to throw axes. And so my wife and I have developed uh, a little bit of expertise with that and can coach people on how to throw it appropriately and very, very safe sport. And so anyway, long and short of it is, uh, we opened an axe business on June 11. And yesterday was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And so all weekend long, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, uh, we did a thing called Red, White, and Blue Weekend. And we produced a 16-foot long banner that uh, we encourage people from all over the community around Morganton, Western North Carolina, to come out, throw a, a few axes, and then put their name and write a message on that 16-foot banner, 16 feet long, three, about three feet high. And uh, we're going to pull it off the wall when it's completely, completely filled. Now, there's a lot of signatures on it right now, but when it's completely filled, we're going to take it off the wall, we're going to fold it up, we're going to hand deliver it to the Pentagon in Washington, D.C. Can I hear an amen right there? You say, why are you doing that? Well, because of the last three weeks, we lost 13 of our best and brightest and bravest. And the more I'm hearing, the more I'm hearing about what happened there, we knew that was going to happen. And we literally hung our young men out to dry. Do you understand what I'm saying? I don't know if some of you are following what I'm following, but more information is coming and we knew something was going to take place and we didn't really take appropriate steps. I heard a guy today or late yesterday saying, you know, in fact, it was this morning as I was driving over, he said, you know, we just don't operate that way with all of our guys standing in close proximity in a large crowd like that in a Muslim country. We just never operate that way. And he said, so when I saw videos of that, he said, I thought, man, that is so odd. Well, anyway, the long and short of it is a lot of things that need to be investigated, examined and so on, legitimately so. But all of that say this, we wanted to honor our men and women in uniform because of the sacrifice and service that they have given to keep us free in the years that have followed 9-11-01. You see, first responders, firefighters, you know, medics and all of that, and they're wonderful people and they're heroes, every bit of it a hero in their own right. But sometimes what happens is we forget our men and women in uniform. That's why when I came in this morning and saw out there uh, the uniforms on display, preacher, no joke, my heart was doing cartwheels on the inside. I snapped pictures of all of that, posted it on Facebook, snapped pictures tonight because I love so much what God is doing here at Calvary. But folks, I want to commend you. I want to suggest something to you. I know you may not be able to do this all the time, but when you go into a restaurant or you go into an establishment and there's places, you know, where people pay for things or having a meal and they have to pay for it. If you see a group of men or women in uniform, can I suggest to you at least do this? Walk by their table and just say, thank you for your service. Just thank you for your service. And if you can, and I know you always can't do this, but if you can, would you just say to the waitress, give me their check. And don't tell them who did it. Just tell them it was from a grateful American. And uh, do that for our men and women in uniform. They've paid so much uh, sacrifice and offered so much of themselves, family members, uh, many of whom have paid the ultimate price, our gold star families. And by the way, a, a portion of the proceeds we made this weekend at our axe throwing business is going to go to our gold star families. But we're going to carry that banner to Washington, D.C. It's going to hang on a wall in the Pentagon where the 28,000 people that work at that military uh, installation of sorts the Pentagon, the center, the brain trust of all of our military apparatus in the United States, they can walk by and they can see names from people in Western North Carolina that love them and have written a message to that effect. And by the way, we've done something like this before and presented things that still hang on the walls in the Pentagon. And because of our ministry in D.C., the Lord's given us a lot of friends in the Pentagon and um, I could talk for two hours about that. I'm not going to do it. But folks, pray, pray that God will use that banner in a mighty way for his glory and continue to open doors. Folks, look, I'm concerned about some of the leadership at the very top militarily right now. 
In fact, some of them, folk, I'm just going to say it. I don't say it with any animus in my heart toward them directly, but I'm angry at what it's doing. But I'll say this, some of them need to be tried for treason. They do. They just absolutely do. But our men and women in uniform that serve under the direction of some of these that I have a lot of questions about right now, our young men and women who serve are the best of the best. And I don't know if you saw what the young man, they're featuring him tonight on a Fox News special. Uh, by the way, I'd encourage you at some point to watch it. It's talking about the pursuit of bin Laden. And I understand kind of it's a new, a new program they put together. But Rob O'Neill, all of you know who Rob O'Neill is? That guy's a man's man. He's the one who took down Osama bin Laden. You remember? Uh, he said, I thought on that mission, we're not coming home. We're just not coming home. Uh, well, none of us that are on that mission will come home. But he said, I went in that room and he said, there he was. And he said, I took the shot. The shot, second one heard round the world. Can I hear an amen? And he took down that terrorist that was the mastermind and instigated a lot of the events that unfolded on 9-11-01. But anyway, all of that to say this, Rob O'Neill said this about all of our people that were about to be left behind and those that were left behind in Afghanistan. He said, I, I can tell you how to deal with that. And I believe he meant this because I know some of these guys and how they operate. He said, you give me nine other guys. That's all we need, me and nine more. And we'll go in there and we'll just shoot everybody we got to shoot and we'll get our people out. Can I hear a name? I don't know about you. I like a guy who thinks like that. You say, preacher, why would you say that? Because David thought like that when he went out and fought Goliath. He only had one target in front of him, but he took five stones. The Bible teaches that Goliath had four other brothers equally as tall as him. I think old David's thinking, just let me go and take the whole clan out while I'm at it. Can I hear a name? Do what's got to be done to do what's right by our people. And so anyway, uh, boy, I didn't intend to say all that, preacher. I got on my soapbox. But anyway... Uh, again, if you're offended by that, if you'll come to me and apologize for how you feel, I'll forgive you. I promise, really, I will. I'm a very forgiving God. No, I love you folks. Listen, I wish I had an arm long enough on this side and on this side, go all the way down the outside aisles, meet in the back and give you a group bear hug. If I could do that, I would. I love this church more than you'll ever know. I talk about Calvary Baptist Church, Union Grove, on radio, we've had your pastor on to share some of the special things God's been doing here. And when I'm out around other pastors, I've, I've said, you know, go online. Look, look at what's going on down there in Union Grove, North Carolina, Calvary Baptist. Now, listen, don't, don't get the big head about what I'm saying, all right? God told me years ago, if your eyes leak, your head won't swell. All right, if your eyes leak, your head won't swell. That's good advice. But uh, I, you ought to praise God for what he's doing here. It's not the same, play, same way every other place. In America, So you're richly blessed, and I want you to know it's my honor and my delight as well as that of my wife to be here during these days. But pray, pray that God will use that banner in a mighty way for His glory. And then I want to extend uh, an invitation to as many of you as can. I know uh, some of the protocols and so on right now, maybe nationwide, are affecting some things, but right now Capitol Hill is open again. It really, really is, and we're going back up in the latter part of October for our first outreach in over a year and a half uh, visiting members of Congress. We've not been allowed to do that because of a couple of things, you know, COVID being one of them. But anyway, now the, the offices are open back up. Normally every three months, we're visiting every single office. Every three months, we're in every single office of every member of Congress, both House and Senate, all 535. And over the course of three days, when we do that, we'll walk 18 miles. No joke, 18 miles is what my phone says. I walked last time we did this in three days. And um, just kind of used to doing it, I guess. But anyway, this will be the first time we've had an opportunity to do that since uh, about 18 months or thereabouts. And so pray that God will use all of this. When we go up there for that's when we're going to take this banner and deliver it to the Pentagon. And we're just looking forward to what God's going to do through all of that. I know everything looks dark on Capitol Hill, but I want you to cheer up, folk. God's still in control. Yes, Serve an awesome God. 
And again, I could talk for a long time about some of the amazing things that are taking place. Tomorrow night, tomorrow night, I want to share with you. Preacher, is it okay if I do that tomorrow night? I want to share with you a phone call I was on Thursday a week ago with President Donald J. Trump. Okay, I was on the phone call with him and um, hmm, I was so encouraged by what I heard. He has formed a national uh, spiritual advisory board and I was asked to be on that and I accepted and one of the first responsibilities was being on a phone call uh, last Thursday a week ago and uh, I'll tell you what stirred me about it tomorrow night, a couple of things and I'll share with you, I kept copious notes as that call was going on, everything he said, everything that took place on the call and I just had it all on my phone and I'll just go through it very, very briefly tomorrow night because I want you to be encouraged, folks. I really do. I want you to be encouraged that we still serve a God who hears and answers prayer and uh, we serve a God who I don't think is through with the good old United States of America yet. I, I know it's dark days, but I don't think God's through with us yet. I think he's got a lot more he wants to accomplish, not only here, but around the globe. And I'm gonna share a few things with you tomorrow night at the very beginning of the message. It'll be very brief, but I think it'll be something that you'll greatly appreciate. If you have someone that's discouraged, boy, tomorrow night would be a good night to get them here and just say, hey, the preacher's going to talk a little bit about this just briefly. And um, I want to be a blessing to you. I want to be a help to you every night. But we'll do that tomorrow night. And uh, looking forward to what God's going to do. Judges chapter number 13. Look, if you would, please, at verse number 1. The scripture says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of the Philistines forty years. And there was a certain man of Zorah, verse 2 of Judges 13, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. Plain English, couldn't have children. Look at verse 3. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold, now thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now therefore beware, I pray thee, and drink not wine or strong drink, nor eat any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child, the child you're going to give birth to, by the way, we ultimately know him as Samson. The child, Samson, shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb. Please notice this next phrase. And he, your son, Samson, shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. He shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of Philistines. Do you know God had more in mind for Samson like he has more in mind for every one of us than just beginning to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines? Do you know God would have used Samson to totally deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines? But see, God who knows the end from the beginning. Do you understand what I'm saying? God knows what's gonna happen, preacher, way down there, but he knows what's gonna happen way down there, way back there. Are you with me? God who knows end from beginning knew that Samson would have a problem. And it was that problem that would keep him from totally delivering Israel. So God says before Samson's even born, he's going to begin the process, but he's not going to complete it. You say, well, Brother Dave, I know what his problem was. It was a woman problem. May I say this? The women in his life were bad choices. Now, before, preach, we have to say this. I mean, we live, we live. Somebody said it tonight about raising a generation, you know, of wussified, you know, guys. It was the brother who, who sang tonight. Well, that was great, you know. I thank God for Marines. I was talking to a guy who was a Marine, you know, the Marines. How many of you in here were Marines? Come on, raise your hand. Marine, all right. Bless your heart. Uh, I had a guy tell me one time, he said, Brother Dave, you know, you know the Marines are a division of the Navy. So I said that to a guy who was a Marine. I said, you know you guys are a division of the Navy. He said, we sure are the men's division. That's what we are. <laughs> Man, I couldn't get anything better than that. That's good stuff. Anyway, the bottom line is this. Uh, Samson 
had a problem. You say it was a women problem. Well, now listen, stay with me. You have to be, we're so sensitive today, you know, with the wussification, you know, of everything. Uh, I want you to know, ladies, I have nothing against you. I have nothing against you. You do know my wife is a woman. You know that, don't you? My mom was a woman. You don't have nothing against the women. But here's the point. The right kind of woman can be a man's greatest blessing. Can I hear an amen? The wrong kind of woman can be a man's greatest curse. And Samson had a propensity for choosing the wrong kind of women. You say, well, that was his problem. No, that was a symptom of a much deeper problem. You say, what was the deeper problem? I want you to see what the deeper problem was. Look at Judges chapter 14. Would you please, let's just jump over there. Judges chapter 14, look at verse number one. I want you to see woman number one. Woman number one. By the way, you can organize Samson's life around three women in his life. By the way, none of those are his mom, but there are three other women. Woman number one shows up in Judges 14. Look at verse number one, if you would, please. And Samson went down to Timnath. Here comes the phrase, and saw a woman. In Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines, he came up and told his mother, father and mother and said, I've seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me. Please note what your King James Bible says. Get her for me to, T-O, get her for me to wife. By the way, literally the word to means this. Get her for me as my wife. Now, would to God Samson's parents had stood by what they said was a conviction However, Simpson's parents were tragically, like many of us, no doubt, many American parents, they were, were permissive. You know what I'm talking about? We don't stand by stuff when push comes to shove because it's easier to give in when the children begin pushing back and trying to create a little conflict. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Look at verse number three. Then his father and mother, Judges 14 verse three, his father and mother said unto him, is there never a woman? Among the daughters of thy brethren, among all my people, that thou goest uh, to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines. And Samson said to his father, get her for me. Watch his motivation. For she pleaseth me well. Pleaseth me well in English. In Hebrew, it means this. Daddy, she looks good to my eyes. She looks good to my eyes. Get her for me, daddy. She look. Can I say it this way? She is a... F-O-X, Fox. Here's the new one today. She is H-O-T, hot. Right? Now, folks, stay with me. Folks, you understand the least important component of a long-term relationship in marriage is what the person looks like. I had a friend in high school. Uh, we, we had a guy come through and preach in chapel and he, he was preaching on kind of on this topic, Pastor. And you know, don't choose a mate based on what they look like. That's not the most important thing. Don't choose a mate based on what they look like. So my friend Mark, we played basketball together. He, he said to me in the locker room as we we're getting ready for PE after chapel, he said, you know what I'm gonna do based on today's chapel message? I've made a decision. He said, I'm gonna marry ugly. That's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna marry ugly. I said, what are you talking about? He said, Dave, I'm gonna find a woman so ugly. If Moses had seen her, there'd have been another commandment. There would. I mean, I'm just going to marry. I said, I don't think that's what he was trying to say. Listen, listen, it's <laughs> obviously you're going to be attracted to the person that is God's will for your life. Can I hear an amen? Yeah. But what they look like externally is not the most important. Right. Let me ask you this question. Where do the beautiful people live? And don't say Union Grove, North Carolina. All right. Where do we normally think of the beautiful people live in what state and what city? California, what city? Hollywood. 
If the key to success in marriage is where the beautiful people live in Hollywood, then the highest rate of success in relationships ought to be in Hollywood. You know what's going on out there, preacher? The highest rate of failure in relationships is in Hollywood, California, where the beautiful people live. So the most important component is not the one that Samson's putting the emphasis on. Get her for me, daddy. She looks good. To my eyes. Now, tragically, again, Samson's mom and dad were permissive parents. By the way, you may not have had, I didn't have, I, I didn't have a permissive mom and dad. My, my mom and dad said things, they meant it, and they expect us to live by it. How many of you had a mom and dad like that? By the way, my dad said 11 o'clock. 11 o'clock is curfew, and if you're not in by 11, the keys are mine for the next two weeks. <laughs> and so I came in at 11.01 one night. I remember opening the door, you know, gently, you know, everything was dark. I thought mom and dad are in the bed. And so I opened the door, you know, and pushed it back and I'm tiptoeing, you know, through the house. And my dad was standing behind the door. He flipped the light on, scared me to death. <laughs> when I turned and looked at him, his palm was like this and he was going, I said, what's that for? He said, keys go right there for the next two weeks. By the way, I had a dad and mom who were patriotic disciplinarians, which means this. They laid down the stripes and we saw the stars. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> Very patriotic discipline. Listen, I thank God for a mom and daddy like that, don't you? Would to God Samson's parents had been that kind of mom and dad. But they weren't. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of this chapter to you, but I'll tell you this. They go down to the Philistines' country and they set up a wedding with this Philistine girl. By the way, on their way down there, as they're walking the pathway to the Philistines' country, a lion roars out against Samson and his parents. Remember this? Remember old Samson takes his bare hands, must have put one hand on the lower jaw, other hand on the upper jaw, tears a lion in half, tosses his carcass over into the brush. They keep on walking. They get down there and they set up a wedding they turn around after they set up the wedding. The Bible says they go home. I've tried to figure out, most Bible scholars believe they were maybe home in their country before returning for the actual wedding ceremony itself. They may have been home six weeks, eight weeks, tops, but they turn around and they go back down for the actual wedding. And as they pass the spot in the road where weeks earlier, Samson killed the lion, the Bible says, Samson says, I'll turn aside and I'll see the carcass of the lion. So he wanders over into the brush. Sure enough, there's the lion's carcass. In the weeks that have transpired, some bees have gotten inside evidently the ribcage portion of the lion's body and they've built a beehive. How many of you remember this? And there's honey dripping there. He inserts his hand inside the lion's carcass, takes some honey. Wow, that's good. Gets a little more, carries it to his mom and dad. But he doesn't tell them where he got it. Wow. They make their way all the way on down to the Philistines' country. I want you to look, if you would, please, at your Bible. Judges 14. And I want you to look, if you would, please, at verse 11. When they come down for the wedding ceremony, look what verse 11 of Judges 14 says. And it came to pass when they saw him. The him is Samson, the they are the Philistines. It came to pass when they saw him. Now, folks, look up at me. I'm not trying to impress you, but I want you to learn something. The word saw in English communicates just kind of a casual look. However, in Hebrew, it is not a casual look. The word saw in Hebrew literally means this. And it came to pass when they scrutinized him. It's not just a casual look. It's an up and down look. It's a look him over good look. Everybody with me? I mean, this guy's already got a reputation for being the strong man of Israel. They're trying to figure out how is this dude so much stronger than everybody? So they scrutinize him and they pick up something about him. By the way, what I think they pick up is his weakness. Look at verse 11. 
And it came to pass when they saw him, scrutinized him, look what they do. That they brought 30 companions to be with him. In other words, they bring 30 friends. Only these friends are Philistine friends. What did they pick up? That was his weakness. Folk, may I say this? His weakness was this. I gotta have the approval of everybody else. Gotta be in a group. Ladies, help me understand. I've never, have, uh, men, have you, have, you been, have you been with several couples in a restaurant and one of the ladies gets up to go to the restroom, all of them get up and go at the same time? Have anybody noticed that? <laughs> Careful there, brother, where you're going here, all right? He's going to come tomorrow night. I, I had a coach one time. He said, uh, I was having a little bit of a discussion with my wife. And he said, I, yes, I said something. I didn't see her for three days. He said, that's how long it took for the swelling to go down. But anyway, <laughs> I, so be careful where you go in here. Um, what is it about us that we have to have a group? Do you know what? We ought to learn to stand alone. Can I hear an amen? Yes, sir. We're about to enter into a time, in fact, we've already entered into it in America, where you'd better, sir, learn to stand alone. Ma'am, you better be able to stand alone. Young man, young lady, you better be able to stand alone. My wife and I, when we were down at Orlando, Florida a couple of weeks ago, we went to one of the Disney parks and there were two young people there, both of them Christians. One of the girls is actually one of the Disney princesses. She plays a number of the princesses there in the park. She and her boyfriend, both of them wonderful Christians, have said, we are not going to comply with something that Disney's trying to mandate and it's going to cost both of them their job and they know it. But they're willing to do it. Can I hear an amen? amen. What's wrong with us? Right. They brought 30 companions to be with them. Now I want you to watch what Samson does. Look at verse number 12. As soon as he meets his new friends, verse 12 says he does this. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. Guys, I'm going to tell you a joke. If he can certainly declare it me, in other words, if you can kind of figure out the punchline of my joke within the seven days of the feast, that is the seven days of the wedding feast, and find it out, then I will give you 30 sheets. And the word sheets means linen garments. I'll give you 30 linen garments and 30 change of garments, verse 13. But if you cannot declare it me, if you can't figure out the punchline of my joke, then shall you give me 30 sheets, 30 linen garments and 30 change of garments. And they said unto him, put forth thy riddle that we may hear it. Do you remember his riddle? Here was the riddle. Out of the eater, out of the eater, that which normally does the eating, the consuming, came forth meat, that is something to eat. And out of the strong, out of that which is very strong, came forth sweetness, came forth something incredibly sweet. He's talking about extracting the honey from the strong lion's carcass. Is everybody with me? However, these friends have no clue what he's talking about. So you know what they do? They go around for seven days. Man, what world is he talking about? Man, we've got seven days where we're going to have to pay up. So I, they go to his fiance and they say, hey, hey, go to your boyfriend, your fiance, figure out, get from him what is the answer to his riddle. Come back and tell us. She does, tells him, so they come to him at the end of the wedding feast. I don't know about you, I can see him do it. I can see him saunter up in front of him. Samson looks at him, hey guys, got it figured out? They must be elbowing each other, laughing. Hey, old boy, what's stronger than a lion? And what's sweeter than honey? And he realizes that they didn't just figure it out. He figures out where they got it. He uses a phrase, preacher, that's amazing to me. He looks at these 30 guys and he says, if you guys hadn't plowed with my heifer, 
By the way, he wasn't calling his fiance a cow, by the way. That's not what that means. Plowed with my heifer is a Jewish colloquialism that means this. If you hadn't messed around where you had no business, you'd have never figured out my riddle. But see, they have. So he's got to pay you up. Now, I want you to watch something. The wording of the Bible is so strategic. By the way, we believe this book I'm holding in my hand right here and that you have in your lap is God's inspired and errant infallible word without error from cover to cover. Can I hear an amen? Amen. We believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the scripture. You say, preacher, what does that mean? It's fancy wording that means this. We believe God didn't just inspire thoughts and the guys just kind of wrote down general thoughts in their own words, though he did use the personalities of all the writers. But what's on the page are the very words God wanted on the page. Can I hear an amen? Verbal plenary inspiration of the scriptures. So the order of the wording I'm about to read to you is by design. From God. When they figure out his riddle, look at the end of chapter 14. Verse 19, and the spirit of the Lord came upon him. Talking about Samson. He went down to Ashkelon, slew 30 men of them. Now remember the agreement was, if if you figure out my riddle, I owe you. Well, they figured it out, so he owes them. 30 change of garments. So he goes down to Ashkelon, a key Philistine city, kills 30 Philistines. Look at the middle of verse 19. Took their spoil and gave change of garments unto them, which expounded the riddle. Now, what's the next phrase? And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. Now, preacher, what I want to point out is this. It does not say his anger is kindled, and he goes and kills 30 guys. It doesn't say that. It says he just goes and methodically kills 30 guys, fulfills his pledge, and then his anger is kindled. And he went up to his father's house. Why is it in that order? Because he's not mad at these 30 Philistines he kills. That's not what he's upset about. What he's upset about is he's been found out with his riddle. In other words, folk, he's been embarrassed publicly. Is everybody with me? You know what Baptists do when they've been embarrassed publicly? They take their ball bat and their glove and the ball and they head somewhere else. Everybody know what I'm talking about? Well, bless God, I'll just take my tithe and go elsewhere. As if God's got to have your tithe. Now God wants to use your tithe. But folks, listen, God got along fine before you ever showed up on the scene and before I ever showed up. He doesn't have to have us. He wants to use us more than we want to be used. But if we get sideways in the road, he can get along just fine without us. Can I hear an amen? So all you're doing when you get your feelings hurt is limiting God's ability to use you and bless you. So just stop it. Can I hear what I mean? Just quit doing that. I want you to watch the rest of it. His anger was kindled. The end of verse number 19 says, and he went up to his father's house. By the way, went up is a Hebrew term that is used all through the Old Testament, but it's always used to describe smoke going up off of a sacrifice. You know what it means, preacher? He went up. It means he went up in a huff. Smoke coming out his ears. You remember the old cartoon? When old, was it uh, Popeye? You know, he'd get upset. You know, smoke come out of his ears. and he'd... That's how he's going home. Why is he doing that? Because he's been embarrassed. He's not angry at the guys he kills. They did nothing to him. What he's upset about is that he's been shown up publicly. By the way, he's revealing... His problem. What you think about me looms so large 
and it's so important. In fact, more important than what God thinks about me. Now, folks, I'm convinced as I'm standing here, stay with me, we could have revival if we'd get what I just said turned back right side up. And we'd have a holy disregard for what people think about us and a sacred regard for what God thinks. Can I hear an amen? You see, what we do in America, what we do in the Christian church is we allow this to come into our head and into our heart. We allow people to be big and God to be small. What needs to happen is we need to see God is big and people small. Yes, Can I hear an amen? Because when people are big and God is small, all kind of bad stuff happens. Woman number one didn't work out. By the way, look at verse 20 of Judges chapter 14. Samson heads off to his house, doesn't come back. Look what verse 20 says, chapter 14. And Samson's wife was given to his companion. Same word used over in verse 11. His companion, watch the rest of this, whom he had used as his what? Literally the word friend means his best man. When Samson hightailed it toward home, didn't come back, the girl's dad said, where, where, where'd your fiance go? I don't know. He said, well, we already got a wedding going here. Hey, you step in. And so he gives her to the guy that Samson had used as his best man. Everybody with me? Wow. Woman number one didn't work. Look at chapter 16. Here comes woman number two. Now stay with me. I'm headed somewhere tonight. Chapter 16, verse one says, Then went Samson to Gaza and saw there and... Would you say the next word out loud? He saw a what? Now, folks, look at me for a minute. Would you agree with me? Choosing a Philistine woman was bad enough. His next choice is way down the ladder. Would you agree? Young people, may I say this to you? In love, having been a young person at one time, I know some of you think, man, it's been decades on end. It's probably been a century, Brother Kistler, since you've been young. Listen, I want you to understand something. I am a teenager trapped in a 62-year-old body. That's what I am. But I have learned this. The recovery time from doing stuff with teenagers... It's so much longer now than it used to be. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I mean, the recovery time is so much longer when you do this crazy stuff with a teenager. But I, 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 love teen, I love teenagers. They're awesome. But young people, I want to say something to you in love, having been there. When you disregard the wise advice of leaders over your spiritual authorities over you, especially your mom and dad, when they want you to do right, when you disregard them and make a wrong choice, every choice thereafter is always a big step down. Are you with me? He chose a Philistine. His parents said, is there never? They should have held their ground. They didn't. They gave in. So his next choice is even worse. And harlot, look at your Bible again. Then went Samson to Gaza, chapter 16, verse 1, and saw there an harlot, look at the rest of the verse, and went in unto her. Look at verse 2. And it was told the Gazites saying, Samson has come hither. Hey, the strong dude is in town. Look at the rest of it. Samson has come hither, and they laid wait for him all the night in the gate of the city, into verse number two, and were shh, 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 quiet, 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 all the night saying, in the morning, when it's day, we're going to kill him. Look at verse three, Samson doesn't wait till morning. Verse three says, and Samson lay till midnight, and he arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city. The two posts went away with him, bar and all put them upon his shoulders, carried him up to the top of the hill that is before Hebron. Would you agree with me? This is an awesome feat of strength. Can I hear an amen? amen. 
They're waiting for him, preacher, to come out in the morning. He doesn't wait. He just at the stroke of midnight goes out, grabs him, jerks the gates off the city wall, folds them up, puts them on his shoulder, treks all the way to the top of this massive hill in Israel called Hebron. And the Bible doesn't say he did this, but this is the way Samson lived. It must have been an impressive thing. Must have opened up, drove him in the ground. Impressive display of strength. Do you know Samson's life is filled with this kind of stuff? Every time you see Samson, always something impressive. For example, look back at chapter 14. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Now, folks, this is vitally important. Look at verse 6. Look at this impressive feat. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him, Samson, and he, Samson, rent or tore him, that is a, a lion, as he would have rent or torn a kid, that is a kid goat, and he had nothing in his hand. Folks, look up at me for a minute. Do you realize what we've just heard? He tears a lion in half. Now, can, can you help me for just a second? Would you mind coming up here? Can, can we make a spot for him right here for just a second? Is that okay? By the way, your name is? Abel. Abel. Abel, how old are you? 28. 20. <laughs> Does he look younger than 28 or what? We're still going to use you, Abel, because, man, I'd give anything to look that young at 28. You're going to like this one of these days. You really, isn't he, folks? He's going to love this youthful look one of these. Abel, have a seat right there, okay? Just a second. Now, Abel, I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. You've got to be real honest. Um, do you have a car? Okay. What kind of car do you have? Nissan Nissan Murano. Okay, that's a nice car. Very nice car. Is that your dream car? Or if money were no object and you could have any kind of car you wanted, what would you get? Give me a set of knuckles right there. Okay. And what color Mustang would you have? Gray. Gray. Okay. All right. Now, here's the big question. Abel, do you have a girlfriend? You're married. He better not have a girlfriend, right? All right. And you're sweet. Please be my friend after this. Okay. And your sweet bride's name is? Lauren. Okay. How long did you guys date before you got married? Six months. Man, I mean, you move quick, okay? I appreciate that. That's good stuff. All right, all right. Now, let me just say, is there a mall? Where's the nearest mall near here? Nearest mall? What is it? Signal Hill Mall? That's just one store? Okay. How do you know that, brother? Okay, all right. Where's the nearest mall that has like a Dillard's or, you know, uh, Belts or... What's, what is it? Winston? Winston? Okay, let's, let's go Hickory, because I think maybe may a little closer. Valley Hills Mall, Hickory. You ever been to Valley Hills Mall in Hickory? Okay, we're, we're going we're gonna to set up a scenario, okay? Abel, you're in the car with your sweet bride. Her name is Lauren. Okay, I'm sorry, Alzheimer's. Anyway, you're in the car with Lauren, and you're in your gray Mustang, and you're tooling to Hickory on Interstate 40, and you pull into the parking lot of Dillard's. There's a, how many of you know where I'm talking? Dillard's in the mall there in Valley Hills Mall. And you pull into the Dillard's parking lot, and you're getting ready to get out of the car, and Lauren says, Abel! You go, what? She says, look over there on the other end of the parking lot. And you look, and there's this massive Rottweiler dog. I mean, he's galloping towards you like a thoroughbred racehorse. Got slobber coming out both sides of his mouth. And Lauren says, Abel, don't get out of the car. And you look over at Lauren, you say, have no fear. <laughs> Abel, baby, is here. And you get out of the car, close the door. You know what Lauren does? She locks the doors, man. You're out there on your own. And about 15 feet from you, this galloping thoroughbred Rottweiler dog coming towards you, dives at you. And when he dives at you, you catch him. 
And you put one end on the Rottweiler's lower jaw, other hand on his upper jaw, and with your bare hands able, you tear him in half, toss him off to the side. You look at Lauren in the car and you say, that's what I do with my light work. <laughs> I love you guys. You're awesome. Okay. Now be honest with me, Abel. Have you ever done anything like that? But if you did, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Folk, what I'm trying to help you understand is this is not a Rottweiler, Samson. It's a lion. Are you impressed? Because you need to be. Now, I want you to watch your Bible. Look at chapter 14, verse number 19. There's another impressive feat. Look, look again. I want you to see this. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he, Samson, went down to Ashkelon and slew how many men? He slew how many? 30. 30. All right, Abel, let's go, let's go back to you, buddy. Okay, you thought you were out of this, didn't you? Okay, no. Okay, Abel, you're in your, your, your gray Mustang. You got Miss Lauren in the passenger seat. You're cruising down to the Valley Hills Mall. Pull into you know, the parking lot there at Dillard's. And uh, all of a sudden, as you pull into the parking lot, you notice something. In fact, Miss Lauren notices at first that about 30 Harley-Davidson motorcycle riders have followed you off of Highway 70, you know, and followed you into the parking lot uh, of Dillard's. And when you pull in, they circle your car. And what they're thinking, what they're thinking, Abel, is, man, there's no way that young man should have a beautiful girl like that and a Mustang at the same time. But this guy does. I mean, he's got it all. So they circle. And, you know, they circle your car and uh, they get off their motorcycles and they grab their chains, you know, and they're dressed in leather and everything. And Lauren is going, whatever you do, Abel, don't get out. And you look at Lauren and you say, have no fear. <laughs> Abel baby is here. And you tell her, I know jujitsu and Shotokan and Taekwondo and a bunch of other Japanese words. You know, I know. Anyway, and, and you get out of the car and you shut the door. She locks them. You're out there on your own. And these 30 Harley riders come towards you and they start taunting you and making fun of you. And you just look at them and you say, all right, guys, I'm going to give you one warning. My body is registered as a lethal weapon in the state of North Carolina. And if you come toward me, I'm going to lay every one of you out right here in the parking lot. Got it? And they laugh at you and they come towards you. And here's what you do, buddy. You do this. You go. Yeah, 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 yeah. And you lay 30 Harley riders out on the pavement in the parking lot. Dillard's Valley Hills Mall. Now, be honest with me, buddy, okay? Have you ever done anything like that? Okay. <laughs> but if you did, it'd be awesome, wouldn't it? Yeah. I agree. Folks, what I'm trying to help you understand is these are not 30 Harley riders Samson takes care of. It's 30 seasoned Philistine warriors. Are you impressed? Because you need to be. Gets better. Hang on, Abel. Watch this. Look at chapter 15. Look at chapter 15. Hmm. I want you to see this with your own eyes. Verse 14. And when he came to Lehi, he, Samson, the Philistines shouted against him and the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and the cords that were upon his arms became his flax that was burnt with fire and his bands loose from off his hands. And he found a new jawbone, verse 15, of an ass of a donkey put forth his hand and took it and slew how many therewith? Thousands. All right, Abel, you're in your Mustang. You got Miss Lauren in the passenger seat, cruising, you know, over 40 over to Valley Hills Mall, pull into the Dillard's parking lot. And when you park your car, Miss Lauren notices it first. Coming out of Dillard's are about a thousand shoppers. 
And they're looking over there at that beautiful Mustang, okay? And they're thinking, man, there's no, there's no way that young man should have that. You know, a, a bride like that too. I mean, you know, I mean, you know, and they're just envious. And so they come over towards you and they start taunting you. And uh, your wife says, don't get out, don't get out. And you get out and you close the door and she locks the doors again. And they start challenging you and taunting you and you look around and you run around to the trunk of the Mustang and you raise it up. The only thing you can find in there is an adjustable wrench. You grab it. And you wade into the thousand of them with an adjustable <laughs> wrench. And you lay them all out on the parking lot. Thousand of them by yourself. Now be honest. <laughs> Ever done anything like that? Okay. But if you did, it would be awesome. Yes, it would. Vote, you understand? This is a thousand Philistines, seasoned, hardened. And he lays them all out. Are you impressed? Because you need to be. By the way, I'm impressed with this guy. You're awesome, buddy. Let's give him a round of applause. Thank God for You guys are great. Great. Phenomenal. Now, I want you to look at chapter 16. There's another feat about to show up. Phenomenal one. Amazing one. But there's a phrase missing. In chapter 16, verse 3, it's used every other time Samson performs a phenomenal feat, but it is not used here. Look at verse 3, chapter 16. And Samson lay till midnight, and he arose at midnight and took the doors of the gate of the city. The two posts went away with him, bar and all, put him upon his shoulders, carried him up to the top of the hill that is before Hebron. Now talk to me, please. What is the phrase that is used every other time that is not used here when Samson performs this feat? Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Or the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. You say, preacher, that's just a coincidence. There are no coincidences in God's sacred, holy, inspired word. No coincidence whatsoever. It's not mentioned for a reason, and here's why. Samson performs this phenomenal feat of jerking the gates off the city wall right after he's come out of a house where he's been immoral with a harlot. You know what, preacher? God's nowhere around really right now. Nowhere. No, he's doing this on his own. And you know why he's doing it? He's showing off. You know what people that are controlled by what other people think about them always do? They always show off, don't they? When I was in high school, we played a team that had never, had not lost in two years. We played them at our home court. I'm not, I don't even remember now how we got that game, but they were called North State Academy. They were a private school in the Hickory area. And we got a game with them. Our coach somehow finagled a game, and they came to our gym, and we, we took them to, to the end of the game tied. We went into overtime. First overtime, at the end of that overtime, we were tied. Went into a second overtime, still tied. Went into the third overtime, and bless his heart, my twin brother stood at the charity stripe and made two free throws to put us ahead by one. They came down, scored with about 10 seconds left. We go back down the court. I got fouled and had to go to the charity stripe and preach. I'm not kidding. I, I, I was not a good free throw guy. I wasn't. But that night, miracle of miracles, I sank both of them, and we won. It's my only claim to flame. That's all I'm saying. It is. Okay. Do you know we could have won the game and possibly in regulation? We called a timeout. Coach did. And um, 
We had a player that had been scoring, I mean, just almost at will all night. And the game plan was get the ball to him down low. Let him turn and take a jump shot from down low in the post. Ten seconds to go, we inbound the ball. We have a guard out front named Mike, and he's dribbling around like Curly Neal, you know, between his legs, behind his back, you know. And everybody in the stands are counting down. Seven, six, and the coach is going, pass, pass, trying to get it down in the post. And you know what Mike did? He just kept dribbling and dribbled out the clock in regulation. We get over tied. We couldn't possibly. Coach gets us over on the sideline. He said, what was that? And I remember Mike going, that was pretty awesome, wasn't it, Coach? Awesome. <laughs> we needed a shot. You know what Mike was doing? Do you know adults do that with the cars they drive? Hmm. <laughs> he said, yeah, Mustangs. My, my experience has only been the Camaro people. that are. No, 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 I'm just joking. Okay, I'm just joking. All right, now stay with me. People that do that are declaring to everyone, I'm manipulated by what you think. God impress you. Yeah. And by the way, we're in a time right now, folks, where if you're consumed by what everybody else thinks about you at the plant, you're in trouble. That's good right there. If you're consumed by what everybody else does at the office in this culture, you're in trouble. Samson dominated by what people thought. People were big to him and God was small. I want you to look at the next verse of chapter 16, verse 4. Here comes woman number 3. It says, And it came to pass afterward, that is after this thing with the one night stand with the harlot didn't work out. It came to pass after that that he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek whose name was, would you say the name out loud? Her name was what? Now, I have to ask this, okay? Does anybody in here have a daughter, granddaughter, niece named Delilah? Anybody? Okay, anybody in here have a daughter, granddaughter, or niece named Jezebel? You say, well, of course not, Brother Dave. Those women were infamous betrayers. We don't name our kids Jezebel, typically, or Delilah. Now we name our Rottweiler dogs both those. Have you noticed that? Here, Jezebel, who are you like? Right? But we don't typically name our girls. Because these women were infamous betrayers. He loved a woman in the valley of Sorek named Delilah. By the way, does anybody know what Delilah's name means? It comes from a root word that means literally to whine. To... Wine. Boy, did she ever live up to that one. Remember how she came to Samson because the Philistines came to her? It was like a Mission Impossible episode. Delilah, your mission, whether you decide to accept it or not, is to figure out why your boyfriend is so strong. So you remember she goes to Samson. She says, Samson, sugar pie, sweetie plum. What I'd like to know is how come you're stronger than all the other guys. In fact, what I'd really like to know, she says, is what will make you weak like all the other guys. How many of you remember this? And you know what? Samson plays with her mind, brother. 
He says, well, if you'll get seven green widths, you can read this, not now, but you can read it later in chapter 16. Get seven green widths. What was a green width? It was a supple vine that would wrap itself around a tree trunk. Get seven of those supple, strong vines. Preacher, they would undo them from around a tree. They'd put them on a bow and use them as a bowstring to shoot arrows off of. Very supple and flexible, very strong. Get seven of those. Tie me up with them. That'll make me weak like any other man. Now, that's not true. Samson knows that, but see, she doesn't. So you know what happens? She gets seven of those and ties him up with them. And guys, here's what's so heartbreaking. He lets her. He lets her do it knowing she's thinking this will render him weak. Soon as she's got him secured, she said, look, Samson, here come the Philistines. She's already got it set up. Here come a whole horde of Philistines. Remember what he does to the green whisk? Pop. Goes out, smites him, no problem. Do you remember? Comes back and she says, Samson, <laughs> you didn't tell me the truth. Well, no, I was playing with your mind. Well, what will make you weak? Well, it's not green whisk. I know that. What I need to know is what will make you weak. Well, if you get some new rope. Never been used on anybody or anything. Tie me up with new rope. That'll make me weak. Now that's not true either. He knows that. She doesn't. So she gets new rope, ties him up. And here's the tragedy. He lets her. Knowing. She's thinking this will render him powerless. When she gets him tied up, she's, look, Samson, here come the fleet. Sure enough, here they come. Pop. Goes out, smites him. No problem. Do you remember? Comes back and she... <laughs> The bottom lip gets started. <laughs> Samson, you've been making fun of me. How many of you men love it when your wife cries? Oh, I don't like that. Honey, stop. You can have whatever you want to have. In fact, you can have the entire kingdom if you want it. It's not much, but whatever it is, it should... please don't cry. Samson, you've been playing with my my mind and my emotions. Okay, don't cry. Well, tell me what will make you weak. You know what he says next? If you'll take the seven locks of my hair. Seven locks. Boy, that's interesting. You say, what does that mean? Do you know what it literally means seven dreadlocks? Do you know Samson's hair at this point is so long he's got it braided into dreadlocks? Why would that be the case? Judges 14 says, or 13 says, he was to be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Do you remember that? Three parts to a Nazarite commitment. Most of you know them. Number one, never touch a dead carcass. Never, human or animal, touch a dead carcass. He's broken that pasture by inserting his hand into the decaying carcass of a lion. Number two, never eat or drink anything from off the vine. No wine, no grape juice. No. Evidently, he broke that at that seven-day wedding feast where they all got tanked up. There's one part to his Nazarite commitment he has not violated. A Nazarite was never to have their hair cut. So his hair is so long at this point, he's got it braided into dreadlocks. And he says, if you'll weave my dreadlocks together with a web and kind of, in essence, give me a new hairdo, that'll make me weak like any other man. Now that's not true either. But see, she doesn't know that. So she gives him a new hairdo. You remember? Fastens it up here, web. Look, Samson, here they come. Can you believe it? He goes away, web and all, defeats some preacher, no problem. Remember? Comes back, and I'm modernizing it a little bit. 
She has the apartment door closed, deadbolt chain, all of it on. And he's, come on, let me, I'm not letting you in. You've been lying to me. Oh, come on, sweetheart, just play me. No, I'm not letting you in. And if you read chapter 16, she wears him down to the point where he says, look, okay, okay. If you'll let me in, I'll tell you. Really? Really? Can you hear the deadbolt unlock? I can. Can you hear her slide the chain off? I can. Can you see her crack the door open a little bit and look out with one eye? I can. Really? If I let you in, you'll tell me? Oh, yes, Delilah. I'm tired of this. Come on in, sweetie. Sit right here on the love seat beside me. And you know what he does? He says this. Look, I'm a Nazarite. From the time I was in the womb with my mother before I was ever physically born, I was dedicated to God as a Nazarite. Three parts to that. Never touch a dead carcass. I've broken that. Never eat or drink anything from off the vine. I, I broke that. There's one part, though, that I haven't broken. It has to do with my hair. See, Delilah, if you were to cut my hair, shave my head, that'd be the final severing of my commitment to the God of Israel. And I'd be weak like any other man if that were to happen. How many of you remember this? Pastor, this is so sad. The Bible says in Judges 16, she made him sleep on her knees. That means this. Samson, you've been going out fighting the Philistines. You've got to be worn out. Put your head here in my lap. Now we've got the strong man of Israel with his head in the lap of the enemy. Are you with me? And the Bible doesn't say she does this, but she must have done something like it. A guy told me years ago, he said, Preacher, the best interpretation is a sanctified imagination. I want to give you a little bit of sanctified imagination. He's got his head in her lap. The Bible doesn't say specifically she does this, but boy, I can hear her. I can imagine it happening. She's playing with his hair, stroking his eyebrows and singing. Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Go to sleep, big, strong Samson. Go. Can you hear her? I can. He drifts off to a sound slumber. You know what she does? And in comes a Philistine barber. And snip, 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 snip. And his hair's gone. Now don't hit me, promise? Promise. Okay. When his hair's gone, you know what Judges 16 says she began to do to him? The word is she began to afflict him. The word afflict means to poke or prod. He's sound asleep in her lap. She begins to do this, Samson, Samson, they're coming again. Sure enough, here they do come. You know what the Bible says, chapter 16, read it later. The Bible says first thing he does is he stands up and the first thing he does is he shakes himself. By the way, I used to read that and think, well, you know, he's trying to get the cobwebs out. You know, he's been asleep. That may be true. But here's what's so fascinating about words in the Bible. The word that is translated shake there is a Hebrew term that is used elsewhere to describe a horse shaking its mane. You say, what does that mean? 
Forgive me for backing up. Any of you remember when it wasn't WWE wrestling? It was Mid-Atlantic South wrestling. How many of you remember that? Wahoo McDaniel. Boy, I'm dating myself. How many remember that dude? How, the nature boy, Ric Flair. How many remember? He's still around. Woo! Yeah, how many of you remember that? Yeah. You know what the nature boy would do before he pinned a guy? He'd do this. Woo! And he'd... And he'd... How many of you remember that? Yeah. You know, the shaking is this. Samson gets out of her lap and he goes to go... He shook himself. And then the Bible says, he says this out loud. I will go out as at other times and I'll smite the Philistines like I've always done. Only this time he doesn't smite anybody. No, they took him and they took something from him. What? I want to tell you how they would have done that. The Philistines had a reputation for being brutal. They would have laid him down on his back, put a big burly Philistine hand on either side of him or some type of a rock or piece of wood where he can't turn his head. They take a piece of iron over here, preacher. They hold it in a roaring flame until it's glowing red hot. Then they come and stand over Samson like they did all their victims to whom they did this to. And they don't gouge, they burn out the eyeball. See, this is a vascular, highly vascular part of your body. You can bleed a lot if you get an eye gouge. They don't want him bleeding. They don't want a head wound that bleeds. They want to destroy his eyesight. Men, the hot metal would both destroy his eyes and cauterize the blood vessels at the same time. So he wouldn't bleed. And when they do that, they stand him up. And they escort him over here to a grist mill. And they chain him to a grist mill. And they say, now you grind. Grind like a common animal. And here's the strong men of Israel pushing a grinding wheel like a donkey. Why? He had a problem. Proverbs 29, 25 describes it well. The fear of man bringeth a snare. Literally, bringeth a snare means the fear of man ties your hands into a noose. Listen to me, fellas, girls, mom, ladies. You want to accomplish nothing for God or even yourself? Live your life controlled by what everybody else thinks or might think about you. It is paralyzing. The fear of man bringeth a snare. And in Samson's case, it brought one literally. It cost him everything. Preacher, years ago, I was at our youth camp where I was just a couple of weeks back. I watched this young man get off the church bus when he arrived. I could tell him he's a good-looking kid, real athletic his name was John. I remember that much about him. Don't remember his last name. He got off the bus and I kind of watched him during all the competitions. He excelled in all the competitions. And one night after the service, we always had what we call snack attack. And you could go down to the cafeteria and you could get some ice cream. And so most of the kids were headed to get some ice cream. And 
John came up to me and he said, Brother Kistler, he said, can I ask you a question? I said, sure, John. And he said, well, I've been reading my devotions this week. And he said, I'm in Judges chapter number 16. And he said, I'm just curious about something. He said, Samson and Delilah. He said, when Delilah would ask him, what'll make you weak? And you know, he kind of played with her mind a little bit. Didn't tell her the truth. He said, did Samson, Brother Kistler, really know? I mean, did he know in his heart of hearts that when she was asking those things, what'll make you weak, that she was asking it because she wanted to destroy him? Did he really know that? I said, well, I'm sure he knew he wasn't stupid. He said, okay, I believe that too. But he said, here's my question. If he really knew she's trying to set him up and destroy him, why did he stay with her? Would you agree that's a great question? Why would anybody stay with somebody else if they know the other person's trying to destroy them? I said, John, that's a great question. In fact, I said, I want to be honest. I've never even thought about that. So I don't have an answer. I said, could I do this though? Could I think about it and pray about it a couple of days? We've got a few more days of camp. Can I get with you by the end of the week and maybe try to offer some kind of answer? He said, oh yeah, Brother Kistler, that's great. He goes and gets his ice cream. Standing behind him was a 35-year-old youth director. And the youth director walked up to me, Pastor, you, you've, you've dealt with this. You're talking to somebody and you're looking at them and you are very interested in what they're having to say as I was this 35-year-old youth director. But I'm looking at him. I'm hearing every word he's having to say to me. But my mind and my heart was with John. Yeah, why would he stay with her if he really knew she was trying to set him up and destroy him? So the youth director was telling me this. He said, Dave, I didn't get saved till I was 16. And he said, I'd lived a pretty wicked life up until my 16th year. But he said, to celebrate my 16th year, we went out and got on a, in a car and a bunch of us buddies went out to a, a beer joint. We got all tanked up and drunk. And he said, we came out of the beer joint and he said, wouldn't you know it? Boy, this is so true. The guy that was most drunk, least qualified to drive was the owner of the car. And he pushed everybody away. He said, no, I'm driving. So he gets behind the wheel and the 35-year-old Utrecht said, man, I remember it to this day. He struggled to get the key in the ignition, finally got it in, got it started up, pulled it down in the driveway, scratched out of the parking lot onto a two-lane road. He said, the two-lane road, he said, I'm drunk, but he said, I know that road. It's as crooked as a dog's back leg. He said, I know about three-quarters of a mile up here, there is an abrupt left and an immediate right. It's called an S-curve. He said, I know the driver of this car is probably not going to make it through that S-curve because he said he was driving. I looked over from the back seat. He said, I was in the back right-hand corner. I looked over. I could see the needles at 60 miles an hour. Well, by this time, I'm really paying attention to everything he said. He said, preacher, he said, uh, I looked again. He said, the seating arrangements was driver, two other guys in the front seat, four of us in the back seat. I'm in the back corner. He said, I looked again. He said, he must have been pressing the accelerator because the needle was up over 80. He said, I know we're not going to make it at that. So he said, you know what I did? I said, no, sir, what'd you do? He said, I grabbed the seat on the right by the door, grabbed the seat over here between me and the other guy. He said, I held on, braced myself, got ready to die, opened to die, and looked over the seat again. He said he must have buried the throttle. He was over 100 miles an hour. Well, at that point, I'm hanging on every word. He said, I braced myself, preacher, and got ready to die. He said, now, obviously I didn't because I'm standing here. He said, I'll tell you how that happened in a minute. I said, no, 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 don't, 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 don't go any further. I said, I want to ask you a question. 100 miles an hour, right, right. I said, you braced yourself, grabbed hold of the seat, got ready to die, right, right. I said, okay, okay, I got a question for you. At any moment or any point in that 100 mile an hour ride, did you say to the driver, hey, 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 stop. I want to get out. He said, what? <laughs> I said, 100 miles an hour, convinced you're going to die, right? Right. I said, did you say to the driver, hey, if you want to kill yourself tonight, 
fine and dandy. If you want to kill the rest of these guys, fine and dandy. But I'm not dying tonight. Put your foot on the brake. Stop the car right now. Let me out. Did you say that? He said, well, what, are, what are you talking about? I said, man, you thought you were going to die, right? Right. I said, okay. Did you have the courage to say, stop this car right now. I am not dying tonight. Let me out. He said, of course not. I said, why not? You thought you were going to die. You know what he said to me? Preacher, I couldn't have told him that. Because if I had, all the other guys in the car would have finished the sentence. <laughs> laughed at me. I said, so what you're telling me is you were willing to die to have their approval and keep them from laughing at you. He said, he said, I never thought about that. Yeah. I was willing to die to have their approval. He said, that wasn't a good choice, was it? I said, no one excuse me. Give me five minutes. I'll be right back. I got to go answer a question. And I tracked John down. I said, buddy, I had no clue he'd come this quick. But I want to tell you why he stayed with her, even though he knew she was trying to destroy him. He had to have her approval. Had to have her affection. And he was willing to die to get it. And that's exactly what it cost him. Now, folk, listen to me. Somebody, pardon me for sitting here, man, for a second. Some of y'all sitting in here tonight, you don't know the Lord yet. What you're going to do is, at invitation time, you're going to sit here and you're going to think, man, I can't, I, can't, I can't get up and go forward and admit I'm not saved because if I did, what would everybody think? Who gives a rip what anybody thinks? This is your soul. Make a choice for yourself. Yeah. And right now we're in a time period in America where the pressure is to do something because if you don't, you're going to be singled out. And so you know what? I'll do it. No. Plant your feet. And say, I'm not doing anything because of the pressure of what everybody else is doing. No. No. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment. Father, speak to us this evening. Father, give us victory tonight over this thing of the fear of man which brings a snare. Lord, may we at the end of this service have a holy disregard for what man thinks and a sacred regard for what you think. To the point, Lord, that we're never unkind, but we can stand up though it's staring hell in the eye and we can say, I'm not going to do that just because everybody else is. Lord, may we learn what this entire scenario of Samson and the story of his life is in the Bible to teach us. 
And that is to avoid what took him down. And Lord, it was most obviously the preoccupation with what others thought or said or might say or might think. Free us from that, O oh God. And give us an ability to live courageously for you in these strategic days. Now, folks, our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed. Is there anyone in the room tonight? Tonight, you don't care what anybody else thinks or might think, what anybody else is going to say or might say. You don't care. Tonight, you're willing to admit, preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. I'm just not sure I'm going to heaven. I don't care what anybody else thinks or might think or what they might say. Or It's my soul. Folk, can I tell you, nothing's going to hell, worth going to hell over, especially what somebody might think. So is there anyone in the room that would be willing to say, Preacher, you're talking to me. I'm not sure I'm saved yet, but I'm concerned. And I'm not afraid, I'm not ashamed to admit, I'd like you to pray for me. Friend, I'd love to have the privilege of praying for you that before it's too late, you'll come to Jesus. If that's you, would you be willing right now while I'm the only one looking just long enough to lift, lift your hand up long enough for me to take a note of it? And then I'll just pray. Not by name, but I'll pray for you anonymously that before it's too late, you'll come to Jesus and be saved. Anyone like that? Anywhere in the room? Preacher, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. All right, one final question. Please hear me out. This is so vitally important. I don't know any other way to word it than this. So, so here goes. Men, ladies, young men, young ladies. For whose approval have you been living? Really? For whose approval have you been living? Really? Honestly. See, in the last three months, in the last three days, I've talked to a bunch of people who said, Preacher, the pressure's coming. And my family are saying these things about me. And if I don't comply because of the pressure, then they're going to... Everybody at work, Brother David thinking this about me. And if I don't... And what I've tried to say to him is this. Look, the issue about which we're talking is a choice. It must remain a choice. And it must be one you choose to make yourself independent of what anybody else thinks. Go to God and ask Him what He wants you to do. And then you make your choice. And God will be pleased. My opinion doesn't matter. You can put your head on your pillow at night and sleep in peace because you know you've done what God said do. Not pressure from someone else. 
Now, folk, don't raise your hand. I want you to answer this in your heart. For whose approval have you been living, really? See, things happen in life to bring a lot of stuff to a head. We're going to face some things in the days ahead. I'm not trying to be the bearer of bad tidings at all. I'm going to share with you some great news tomorrow night. But, folk, listen. We've got to stop worrying about what other people think and become consumed by what God thinks. People have got to be small. God's got to be big. So I want to lay a proposition before you tonight. And I'm as serious as I can be. If we get this thing right, folk, we can have revival this week. How many of you that know Christ as Savior would be willing to say to the Lord tonight and mean it? Tonight, Lord, I'm pitching what everybody else thinks. And I'm going to live for your approval alone, Jesus. I'm going to live for your approval alone. How many of you would be willing to say that to the Lord and mean it? And if you would be willing to say that to the Lord, mean it, I'm going to ask you to do something tonight. Declare that by being willing to rise up out of your seat and gather around this altar and tell the Lord that. You can kneel here. You can sit here. You can find a vacant chair that's available. You can stand here around the altar in the aisle, whatever you have to do, however far you can get down here. But would you come and tell the Lord from this night forward, 12th, of September 2021. Jesus, I'm living for your approval alone. Your approval alone. I'm going to live, Lord Jesus, for your approval alone. Tell God that and mean it. Tell your Savior that and mean it. I'm going to live for your approval alone. Your approval, Jesus, alone. My choices are going to be made to please you. Not to succumb to the pressure of what everybody else is doing or what everybody else is thinking or what they might do or think. For your approval alone, King Jesus. Heavenly Father, would you help us tonight? Help us, Lord, to drive down tent pegs deep into the ground this evening. And Father, with everything that's in me, I pray that when this revival week is over, we will look back and say, I made choices that have altered my life and will alter the eternity of some because I'm going to live for your approval. I'm not going to be controlled by fear. What people think or might think, say or might say. I'm going to please you, Lord Jesus, only. And Father, I pray the end result would be you would breathe upon us during these days in mighty revival power. And Father, for this, we'll give you glory, praise, thanksgiving, and honor because you alone are worthy. You alone are worthy. 